Our next case is uh, Macaulay versus North Carolina A&T State University at all, and we will hear from the appellant. Thank you, Your Honor. May it please the court. I am Griff Schuler from Daggett Schuler Attorneys, and we are here today on behalf of the plaintiff, Ms. Angela McCauley, widow and dependent of, Steve, of Stephen L. McCauley, deceased employee, and I would like to reserve five minutes for rebuttal argument. The issue before the court today is, in this case, is a matter of first impression regarding the interpretation of Section 9724A of the Workers' Compensation Act. This case presents a jurisdictional issue as it relates to potential death benefits. We are requesting that the Supreme Court of North Carolina reverse the majority opinion from the North Carolina Court of Appeals in this case, which concluded that the Industrial Commission did not acquire jurisdiction to hear Ms. McCauley's claim for death benefits on its merits. We are specifically requesting that the court adopt the dissenting opinion from the North Carolina Court of Appeals and hold that the Industrial Commission has jurisdiction since the Industrial Commission acquired jurisdiction of this claim with the proper filing of the claim of employee Form 18 within two years after the accident under North Carolina General Statute 9724A. The dissent by Judge Arrowwood should be adopted by the court based on several factors. Overall, Your Honors, under North Carolina General Statute 9724A, a dependent is not required to file a separate and distinct claim for death benefits within the two-year statutory period for the Industrial Commission to obtain jurisdiction. Let me, Where, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but what, what is a dependent um, supposed to file, if anything, if you don't have to file a new claim? Your Honor, in this particular situation, uh, the, the dependent, uh, we, we filed a uh, Form 33, um, which, uh, um, went forward and, and, and went ahead and, and uh, um, related back to the original Form 18. In that um, uh, Form 33, in addition to the uh, indemnity benefits, the medical benefits, uh, we also, also alleged uh, the, the death benefits needed to be made. And that was in the attachment to the Form 33? Yes, it's on the attachment of the Form 33, Your Honor. It's also <coughs> on the first page, um, on page 10 of the uh, record on appeal um, that, it, that is on there. Is there any requirement that the form, that once the Form 18 claim is, form is filed at the commission, is there any requirement that a Form 33 request for hearing be filed with any specific length of time? Um, not in this instance, Your Honor, where um, obviously our, our contention is is that the, uh, the plain language of the relevant statute, uh, Section 9724A, uh, clearly supports that um, in this instance, the filing of a claim with the commission within two years after the accident then brings in the jurisdiction of the Industrial Commission for all benefits related to under the Workers' Compensation Act. And it's 9738 that then says what those benefits. That's correct, Your Honor. Okay. And, and, and just to go ahead and, and jump ahead a little bit on, on this, to clarify the application of Section 9738 to this case, because I think the defendant has indicated um, somehow that we're trying to conflate uh, that statute with, with 9724A. Um, 
9724A is, is brought into this case by the proper fouling of the Form 18 within two years after the accident. The only other time requirement is then, is then found in Section 9738. Um, the additional requirement is, is that if death results approximately from a compensable injury or occupational disease, and within six years thereafter or within two years of the final determination of disability, then you can move forward with death benefits. In our brief and in our argument, uh, Your Honors, uh, we're, we're not conflating or, or confusing those two. What we're, what we're simply saying is, is that there's, there's two separate re requirements here um, to, to be able to move forward with the death benefits. Uh, the first being the, that the jurisdiction of the Industrial Commission has to be brought in, which here was done by the plain language of the, of the statute uh, of 9724A when the Form uh, 18 was timely filed on the underlying claim. And then uh, the separate time requirement um, is under 9738. So the, the, um, the, the language in Section 9738 does not require that a dependent must file a separate claim uh, or request a hearing within two years of, of an employee's death. So that, that's not in 9738. It's also not in 97-24A. Well, it had been in there previously, but was taken out by the General Assembly, as I understand it. So. That's correct, Your Honor. That is exactly correct. So the legislative history um, in this matter, uh, which, in, of course, uh, the, the plain language of, of 97 uh, 24A uh, supports um, the dissent uh, at the Court of Appeals. But in addition to that, if you look at the legislative history, um, the legislator specifically eliminated the prior requirement that dependents file a separate claim of death benefits for jurisdictional purposes. Um, so notably, all previous language requiring a separate filing of a death claim was deleted from North Carolina General Statute 9724 when it was amended to its present language. Uh, the relevant portion of the statute previously stated that the right to compensation under this act shall be forever barred unless a claim be filed with the Industrial Commission with one, within one year after the accident. And then it specifically said, and if death results from the accident unless a claim be filed with the commission within one year thereafter. Um, in, in the 1973 uh, um, update uh, revision, the legislator specifically deleted the words, if death results from the accident, unless a claim be filed with the commission within one year thereafter. So the legislature thereby expressed its clear intent that a separate claim for death benefits is no longer required and that an employee's filing of a claim within two years after the accident satisfies any condition precedent that the Industrial Commission needs to acquire jurisdiction, even if death later results. Well, let me ask you, I know that the processes at the Industrial Commission are supposed to be simple and summary. I'm not sure that's necessarily always accurate, but... You're correct, um, Your Honor. <laughs> but um, is there any particular procedure that the Commission has adopted to say what's supposed to happen when the original claimant dies in terms of a form or anything else that's to be filed? Um, no, Your Honor. In, in fact, the interesting thing um, here, when you, when you look at what happened in this matter, when the Form 33 was filed um, by us on behalf of Ms. McCauley, 
The industrial commission in this matter did not assign a separate industrial commission file number, um, which shows that the industrial commi commission themselves, who obviously administers the, administers the workers' compensation claims in the state, they considered the claim for the death benefits to relate back to the original compensable injury by accident claim. Uh, there was no additional IC, IC file number assigned here, um, and, and that's consistent with the concept that the, the claim for the death benefits, obviously, Your Honors, grows out of the actual injury by accident and that the death of the employee here was caused by the original accident in question. Well, let me, I have a couple of questions about, and I'm not sure whether the record reflects this, and this is why I'm asking, because it might be in there somewhere and I just couldn't find it. There were two things that I was wondering whether the record shows somewhere. One is um, there was a Form 63 filed to pay, where they agreed to pay without prejudice medical expenses only. That's correct, Your Honor. Which was filed after the claimant had already died. That's correct, Your Honor. Does the record reflect whether the defendants actually paid any? The, 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 the record was, was not clear on that, Your Honor. Um, uh, Ms. McCauley testified that she was, um, she was not aware of it. Um, the defendants argued that, that they, you know, had, had, had not. Of course, uh, Your Honor, as to the issue that's before the, the, the court today, um, we would contend that the plain language of the relevant statute um, uh, puts the Industrial Commission in the situation of acquiring jurisdiction regardless of that issue. Okay. The other question um, is also, a, does the record show this? Um, and again, I couldn't find anything that would show this. On the record page seven, um, which is the first page right after that form 63, is a motion for the plaintiff's original attorney to withdraw. That's correct, Your Honor. Uh, which was filed in November of 2015, the same year that um, Mr. McCauley died and filed his claim. Um, that form in the, in the record shows that the caption of the case was by then called the estate of Stephen McCauley. Is there anything that indicates how that came about? No, Your Honor, other, other than uh, it, this is a bit of, of speculation, to be honest with you, but um, that was probably something that may have been on the proposed order that was sent in by the previous counsel, and it was, and it was, uh, it was filed that way. Um, you know, obviously, um, you know, at that point in time, uh, they were not representing the estate um, because they they were previously had previously been representing Mr. McCauley. Um, and again, Your Honor, the the when when you look at the plain language um, of the statute, uh, it's <coughs> our argument that it's clear and unambiguous uh, that. The only requirements the legislator ha has prescribed under Section 9724 for the Industrial Commission to acquire jurisdiction in a workers' compensation case are essentially fivefold, and these are all ORs, Your Honor, Your Honors. First, a claim is filed with the Industrial Commission within two years after the accident, or a memorandum of agreement as provided in General Statute 97-82 is filed with the commission within two years after the accident, or the employee is paid compensation as provided under this article within two years after the accident, or a claim is filed with the commission within two years after the last payment of medical compensation when no other compensation has been paid, 
and when the employer's liability has not been otherwise established under the under the act and then fifth or of a memorandum of agreement under 9782 is filed with the commission within two years of the last payment of medical compensation. So therefore, under section 9724A, the plain language states that the right to compensation in a worker's compensation claim, including death benefits, is properly preserved and the claim is not barred if a claim is filed with the industrial commission or the employee is paid compensation within two years after the accident. So going back to your point, Justice Hudson, uh, in this case, there, there was, uh, it was unclear whether or not the employee had been paid uh, within two years after the accident. However, under the statute to bring in the jurisdiction of the Industrial Commission, that was not, not needed for that to happen because in this case, it's very clear that the underlying claim uh, was filed, it was actually filed within a month um, of the date of injury and the plain language of the, of the statute uh, here is is that if it's filed within two years after the accident um, then then the jurisdiction of the industrial commission is acquired again uh, notably well ass assuming that a the mere filing of the initial form 18 and I'm I will probably botch the number of forms before we get through uh, assuming that the filing of Form 18 by an injured employee prior to death is sufficient to preserve the Commission's jurisdiction over a death claim, uh, how long, is there anything that has to happen after that to ensure that a uh, cl claimant proceeds to assert his or her right to death benefits? I think, Your Honor, if, if you had a period of, what, three years here, something like that. There, th again, th this isn't. Th there's no statute of limitations under the Workers' Compensation Act, so it's a jurisdictional question. Right. Um, and so, once that jurisdiction is acquired as to all benefits, there's no there's no further requirement. So, uh, you know, I, and I'm, I'm bad about thinking up strange hypotheticals, but but take the facts of this case, and then somebody waited 20 years. Well, Your Honor, I What's, what is the, what is the employer's protection in that context from a claim like that? If, I think that's, a, that's a, a good question, Your Honor. I think the like in this case, the employer's protection is is that they were aware of uh, both the underlying claim and they were aware, aware of the death. That they had the option to be able to uh, go to Ms. McCauley and uh, and settle things out. Or, or, or have some final payment of disability, something like that. Um, they didn't do that. Um, so, well, you know. just to follow up on that, at some point, the employer could file a motion to dismiss because of latches, couldn't they? They, they could certainly. Well, and, and your honor, in in this case, they filed a, a motion to to dismiss. So that so, would so that would be the answer to my question. Then would be a, a, a latches defense. I think certainly it would be a situation where they knew the underlying claim was was filed. They knew that was out there. They knew that their employee died, and they knew their employee died under circumstances that uh, related back to the to the um, original injury. They they certainly um, had plenty of opportunity to move forward to to file a motion to to. Uh, um, to go ahead and and uh, be done with the claim, but that was that was clearly not done here. And of course, you, the the other thing that's that's uh, um, interesting on the facts of this case 
uh, Your Honors. Uh, obviously, uh, we, we did not um, we did not argue that it rose to the level of of, uh, of estoppel since there was since there was uh, we, we um, admitted there there was there was no way for us to necessarily prove that the defendants purposely tried to mis mislead Ms. McCauley, but shortly after. Uh, um, the, the death of her husband, she met with them and she testified very clearly that she thought that she had completed all the paperwork needed for any uh, benefits related to his death. Um, and again, that the employer at that point in time certainly had the opportunity if, if they wanted to, uh, to, to go ahead and deal with the workers' compensation case um, and make sure uh, that that was closed out in some way. Counselor, it's gotten a little stale now, but I want to go back and revisit what Justice Hutchinson raised with you, and you spoke with her concerning the uh, elimination of that uh, separate death claim uh, that needed to be filed that was eliminated by the 1973 amendment by the legislature. Uh, I'm interested. I don't know if you want to get to it in rebuttal or not, so I want to pose it right now. What's your response to the other side's view of this court looking at the title of the amendment uh, that includes the words, quote, extend the time limitation, unquote, and the other side's uh, couching of the elimination of the death uh, benefit uh, claim uh, being separate to say that it was actually just to harmonize with some other provisions and that you're going a bit far afield in terms of saying uh, that there's no need to have a, a separate benefit to be filed and that if the legislature had intended that, that it just would have added something more clear, such as a word like remove or abolish or something of that nature. Your response? Yes, Your Honor. Um, it is complete conjecture and very speculative by the defend defendant whether the general title uh, of the Senate bill included all the changes being contemplated to the provisions involved under the Workers' Compensation Act. I think it's very interesting, Your Honor, and it's important to note that in the defendant's own brief and their note at the bottom of page 17, they admit that another statute amended at the same time then in 1973, uh, North Carolina General Statute Section 97-58C, um, that that statute retains specific reference to a claim being filed within two years after death. Um, in, in discussing the time limit, limit for filing certain occupational disease claims, so the fact that any reference to filing with the time period after death was completely removed from section 9724A um, shows that the only requirement for the Industrial Commission to properly obtain jurisdiction for all benefits is to file a claim within two years after the injury by accident. If the, at that point in time, just like they, they retained in 97-58C, if they wanted to retain language that referenced uh, uh, death still, the, the legislature simply uh, would have and could have done that. Um, they completely eliminated any reference um, or any tie-in to a death in any type of, of claim in order to get jurisdiction um, from the Industrial Commission. Should, um, we, should we extrapolate from that the fact that that clause was eliminated, that the legislature intended for 
this court to assume, therefore, that it had been eliminated from the standpoint of a separate action. Uh, we get arguments here quite frequently that the legislature knows how to say what they want to say. And if they're going to add some words with clarity, they certainly could have done that here. So the other side argues. I think the, the, the one thing we know for, for certain, Your Honor, is that they intended to remove any reference to, to, the, to the death being um, a tie-in to, to a timely filing in order to get the jurisdiction of the Industrial Commission. If, if they had intended to want to keep um, that as a tie-in as it had been all the way up until that time period, then they certainly would have included that. Um, but that was specifically eliminated, and so, I think so, that was intentional so for the legislature. When, assuming, uh, to, to come up with another unlikely hypothetical, assume for purposes of discussion that we've got the same facts here, except that no claim for the original injury was filed. Uh, if you look at uh, uh, GS 97-38, which talks about if death results from a compensable injury or occupational disease within six years thereafter, uh, or within two years of the final determination of disability, both dates of which would be beyond an accident, based on my limited understanding of the subject matter, uh, what is the filing requirement for a person seeking to, to assert a death claim when there's no prior injury claim? Your Honor, it's, it's interesting, the, uh, and, and this brings up a, an, an interesting point of distinguishing the Booker and Ray cases cited by the defendant um, to uh, the facts of this case. Uh, the Booker versus uh, Duke Medical Center case from 1979 and then the Ray versus Carolina Cotton and, and Woolen Mills Company case uh, all the way back from 1938. Um, those two cases are distinguishable from this situation in that, number one, the Booker case involved interpretation of, the, of that separate statute for <coughs> occupational disease, section 97-58C, uh, which has its own requirements. But also in regards to both cases, the, the, what was before the, 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 uh, um, the court at that time was uh, they held that a dependent's claim for compensation was not barred by the previous uh, <coughs> failure of the employee to file within the statutory period. Right. Uh, so the court did not bar. And I think that's consistent, Your so, Honor. So get me, given that you can file the death claim without a, an antecedent uh, injury claim, well, by what point under your reading of these statutes should such a freestanding death claim be filed? Well, I think um, that would be, according to the, the Booker and Ray case, that would be uh, um, two years from the time of the death um, under that situation. Does it, does it make any difference that 97-24A uh, speaks of accident without reference to death rather than accident or death? Well, I think in those cases, they, they basically stand for the proposition, Your Honor, that a deceased employee's dependents should not be penalized from being able to pursue death benefits if the employee failed to file within the statutory period prior to that time. Um, here, that's not an issue uh, since the employee properly filed the underlying claim within the statutory period of time, and then the Industrial Commission obtained jurisdiction according to the statute for all benefits under the Workers' Compensation Act once that was done. Um, so, uh, 
what, what the defendant is trying to do is, is to take a, a situation where um, the statute uh, is being interpreted in, in the light most favorable to uh, the injured worker and its dependents, which is obviously what the courts have, have said uh, um, it should be done, and they're trying to turn it on its head by trying to relate those cases to this, this fact pattern, but this fact pattern is, 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 distingu is, is distingu distinguishable from that. Um, so, again, I think in this uh, matter, Your Honors, it's a very interesting situation, a matter of first impression as to how 97-24A uh, relates to uh, um, death claims. Uh, but I think um, in this instance, uh, we believe that there really is no reason to go beyond the plain language of the relevant statute. Um, clearly, if you look at that, you break it down the way that I um, have today and we, we, we did in our brief of, of the, the, the five different ways they can get jurisdiction. None of those five ways reference or bring in uh, having to file this separate claim uh, for, quote, death benefits in order to obtain the, the uh, Industrial Commission's jurisdiction. Um, and then, of course, moving beyond just the, the plain uh, relevant uh, um, uh, plain language of the relevant statute, although don't believe you need to move beyond that uh, in this case, but if you move beyond the plain language of the statute, um, uh, certainly the legislative history that we've already talked about um, is, uh, is supportive of the uh, dissent um, uh, here, and, uh, and you know, we believe that uh, um, the case is very clear, unambiguous, there's no additional requirement in North Carolina General Statute 9724 or any other section of the Workers' Compensation Act that a dependent must file an additional claim or file a request for hearing within two years after an employee's death, um, as concluded by the Court of Appeals, the majority in this case, in order for the Industrial Commission to have jurisdiction. I'll reserve my remaining time for rebuttal. Thank you, Your Honors. Thank you, Counsel. We'll hear from the appellee. May it please the court. Mr. Chief Justice, Associate Justices, my name is Matt Buckner. I'm with the Department of Justice, and I'm here on behalf of the employer in this case, North Carolina A&T State University. Your Honors, in every workers' compensation proceeding before the Industrial Commission, jurisdiction is the first order of business. This is because the Industrial Commission has no authority to intervene and make an award of any nature until its jurisdiction as a judicial tribunal has been invoked in the time and manner prescribed by the provisions of our Workers' Compensation Act. And our Workers' Compensation Act and this court have long considered a death claim, a dependence claim for death benefits, to be a separate and distinct right to compensation under the act, which is held only by the dependence of an injured worker and arises only upon the death of that injured worker. Given that distinction, as well as the plain language and legislative history of General Statute 9724, a dependent claiming death benefits under our Workers' Compensation Act is required to file their claim within two years of the date of death of the injured worker to invoke a jurisdiction over their claim or it is forever barred. In let this case- you, Let me ask yes, you, sure. I'm sorry to interrupt you so okay. early on, but um, in this case, the, the employee filed a claim shortly after his injury um, in 2015, correct? Yes, Your Honor. And so at that point, the Industrial Commission acquired jurisdiction. The Industrial Commission acquired jurisdiction over Mr. McCauley's claim for compensation. 
We contend that that filing only invoked jurisdiction over Mr. McCauley's claim because you have two separate rights to compensation under the Workers' Compensation Act. Is there any procedure or form that you know of that's separate from the Form 18 to file a dependent claim? I believe the Form 18, Your Honor, does include in the title of it that it references a claim of compensation for employee or dependent. It does reference dependent on the Form 18. Is there anything in the statute or anywhere in the commission rules or anything that would prevent the commission from amending the claim on its own motion to include the claim once the claimant, the worker, has died? I think there is an obligation upon the dependent to file their respective claim, to claim compensation in some form or fashion. Well, that wasn't my question, though. If the claim is pending and the commission has jurisdiction over the claim and they learn, however they learn, that the plaintiff has died, there's nothing to prevent the commission from amending that claim on their own motion, is there? Or on motion of one of the parties? I'm struggling to answer your question because I think that it goes to the distinction between claims. This court has long recognized, going back to Ray and Booker, that it's a separate right to compensation. So I think that in order to invoke the jurisdiction of the commission over the claim for death benefits, the dependent has to in some way invoke the jurisdiction. I think that if you go back to some of the cases, there's discussion of Form 19s being filed and that not being sufficient to be a claim of a letter, a formal letter being sent to the commission by the claimant to be able to invoke the jurisdiction of the commission. We didn't have that here at all. Well, but here you had a claim pending and the commission had jurisdiction over it. And the statute had been amended to take out the separate requirement, the language of the separate requirement to file a claim within a certain period after the death. And then there's a different statute that says that if you die within a certain period after the accident, that you can get death benefits. So is there anything that would prevent the commission from just doing that, from amending it if they so desired? I think in this case, the issue that you see in the full commission's opinion and award at page 104 of our record, in this case, the commission highlights the fact that the record contains the record, excuse me, despite the full commission says, despite the fact that Ms. McCauley has neither filed a new Form 18 or sought an order substituting herself in this matter, the commission went ahead, I think because the Form 33 was filed under this IC file number, that went ahead and considered this matter under Mr. McCauley's claim. And I think as my experience, at least as a matter of practice, you do get a new IC number when a death claim is pending, when you have a prior accident or prior claim from an injured worker. That's my experience. If I can just follow up on that, before the commission's order, I'm looking at page 9 of the record, where the commission issued an order on the motion to withdraw, and it does have the caption as the estate of Stephen McCauley, and in the language of the order itself, it says that the attorney, upon her motion to withdraw, that it represents, it says withdraw from representation of the plaintiff's estate in this matter. So isn't the commission, at least in December of 2015, appearing to be proceeding on a claim involving the estate? I don't think so, Your Honor. On the estate, yes, on the estate, not from Ms. McCauley herself. 
as a dependent under the act. So the estate of Mr. McCauley upon his death, if he were entitled to any additional compensation under his claim, he could pursue and receive benefits under General Statute 9737 for payment of ratings or any outstanding compensation due him. And so that would be paid to the estate. But here you have a separate right of action, a, a separate right to compensation held by Ms. McCauley as dependent. So as dependent, um, she had no, had no, her status as dependent had no bearing in that motion to withdraw. That, that uh, the attorney in that situation represented Mr. McCauley and his estate, not Ms. McCauley. So, so then I just want to ask you how Ms. McCauley, so um, just taking the plain language of the statutes that we have in front of us, where would she see something that said she had a requirement to file a, a new form 18 or anything else to assert her rights? Yes, Your Honor. I, I think that the statute um, itself uh, has some clues to that effect. You, you see the, the word right to compensation, the term right to compensation. Death is a specifically defined right to compensation under the Act, under 972 subsection 10. It says death is, is a, as a right to compensation. So death is a specific right to compensation. The term compensation references payment of uh, money allowance payable to a dependent as well as funeral expenses. So you have the, the statute, I think it could be clear, but it does contemplate the death benefit claim being filed by a, a dependent. Well, but well, you, you've said it, you said a couple of times and you also said this in your brief, at least in your view, the dependent in this instance has a chance to or is required to file within two years of the date of death. There's no reference that I can see, and my ultimate question is going to be, am I missing something? Is I don't see a reference in 97-24A uh, to anything other than two years from the date of accident. You're correct. And so where, where does two years from the date of death come from? That's that's a good question. I think that it's. it's I mean, I think we could all agree some legislative uh, uh, clarification might be helpful here, at least from at least from the point of view of those of us who don't practice in this area. I would agree with you, Your Honor. But I, I think that the, the, the where we get the two years from death, it stems from the legislative history of that particular provision. So again, as we've gone through the history of it, um, we would agree with the Industrial Commission's interpretation of the amendment in 1974 um, of, of 9724A um, to, to harmonize it, to, to bring that, that two-year filing requirement to, to be the same as the employee's two-year filing requirement. So, so let me, was there, um, this is a follow-up from Justice Irvin's question about how would she know. Um, is there any procedure that you know of where the commission automatically sends a letter when they learn someone has died to say you need to file a claim or within a certain period of time, because I know they do that in some contexts. Not to my knowledge, uh, I'm not aware of that procedure. So, and the procedures at the commission are, are set up so that people can theoretically do, have a claim and process it without an attorney, right? And, and this attorney was, was withdrawing at some point, so 
this um, widow. I think what's interesting about the attorney withdrawing, um, specifically as it relates to Ms. McCauley, if you read the motion to withdraw, there appeared to be a lack of communication between Ms. McCauley and the attorney for Mr. McCauley in that situation. So it would appear, I'm, I'm speculating 100% when I say this, but there, there had been an attempt to contact Ms. McCauley. And, and so she did have the, the means to, to discuss her rights, at, at least potentially with an attorney, who was familiar with her husband's claim. Right, but that's sort of beside the point of what I'm asking about, which is that in general, the Industrial Commission procedures for workers' comp claims are designed to be handled by an individual without an attorney, though, aren't they? For, for the most part, yes, Your Honor. And that's the whole concept of them being in the statute required to be summary and simple and da-da-da, which, you know, we can argue about whether that's actually the case. But, um, but uh, there isn't anything in the statute or in the Industrial Commission rules that that either, either of you have pointed us to that would say to a, a, a widow who has a pending claim for her husband that she needed to file something within any period of time that's designated in any procedural rule or statute or form or anywhere that I've seen. Is there? Not specifically, Your Honor. I would say the provisions of 9724, as best they can, do provide some insight that this that, that references death claims for death benefits as well as claims for accidents or claims for accidents by employees. I mean, the only thing that you, that you referenced earlier was the legislative history, and I, I, I'm not sure that anybody is expecting unrepresented um, plaintiffs or widows of plaintiffs before the Industrial Commission to, to understand or know anything about legislative history of a particular section of the statute, do they? I would assume not, Your Honor, to, to, to go and look for the legislative history. Um, but I, I think that what this comes down to is really the distinction between claims, uh, between a living claim, a, a, an accident claim, and a claim for death benefits. There, there are two separate rights of action, and, and we discussed that. Um, one of the, the Industrial Commission itself has not specifically set up a separate procedure for that, though, have they? Not a separate procedure. I think it's, it, it does run kind of the same way, though. If, 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 if you have a claim for death benefits, if there's an issue, there's a hearing process for that, and there's an award that's been made by the Industrial Commission, like it is for an employee's claim. So um, I, I think it's, it's a similar procedure, maybe not a separate procedure, but it is similar, I think, in practice. There's been quite a bit said about what forms are used, and quite a bit has been said as well concerning um, the kinds of claims that are filed, but in terms of looking at statutory construction, which is ultimately what this court has to do in this case, uh, the phrase, quote, a claim, unquote, is a very general term that is used in 97-24A. Why wouldn't it be overly restrictive to construe that broad term as not affording jurisdiction to the commission when all that is said is that, quote, a claim, unquote, must be filed within the commission or with the commission within two years after the accident. And here the accident is something that ultimately led to the death of the claimant. Why, the, the original claimant, uh, the employee himself. Why isn't the phrase, quote, a claim, unquote, enough to vest jurisdiction, which would be ongoing when it was filed two years within the act itself that precipitated everything that followed? I, I think that it's, it's not overly restrictive when you consider it in the context of its distinction between claims. A, a death claim is wholly separate from 
a, a, a employee's claim for benefits during their lifetime. But that's reading beyond the term, quote, a claim, unquote, which precipitates all of the jurisdictional aspects that arguably follow what is done within two years of the accident. I think it, I, I go back to the point, though, is, is that the, who holds the right to compensation under, under 9724? When you analyze 9724, who holds the right to compensation? In a death benefit claim, the dependent holds the right to compensation, so they must file a claim. I think, well, it reference, I think that is indicative of reference to a fair claim for death benefit. Well, it, 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 again, help me to understand your, your point here. I, I mean, you, you, you and I had a discussion about why you adopt the two years from date of death language earlier, but if you look at 9738, which to my untutored way of looking at this appears to be the statute that governs the assertion of, of death claims at all, it said if death results approximately from a compensable injury or occupational disease and within six years thereafter or with two, within two years of final determination, that seems to me to allow uh, a death claim to be compensable more than two years from the date of an accident at any rate. Yes. Uh, how do you reconcile that language with a, which allows it for up to six years uh, with, with your interpretation of, of uh, 97-24A that we talked about a minute ago? So, so we contend that 9738 in itself establishes the compensability right. of, of the death claim. So as long as the death occurs within six years of the date of accident or within two years of the last determination disability, and it's the result of an act of an but it, uh, to, And again, to go back to our earlier discussion, if you can, if you, looking at them as two separate claims, and if that, this would tend to allow a claim asserted within six years after whenever the injury was affected, that, that resulted in death, but it's certainly, I'm not sure, I'm, I'm having real trouble reconciling the two years in, in 9724A with the six years in 9738. I think that a good so, way to so think help, help me, help me, help me with my problem. Yes, sir. Um, a good way to think about it is, I think, is that in, in, in this court's uh, case in Biddick's, um, it talked about an, if an injured worker um, seeks to claim compensation, they have to do so within the statutory time frame. To, to, to have to invoke the jurisdiction of the commission so they can consider the compensability elements of their claim. I think that's, that analysis is equally applicable to a dependent separate claim for compensation. So to get in the door of the commission, to invoke the jurisdiction of the commission so they can consider the merits of the case, the merits being did the death occur within two, six years and two, or two years, um, to, to consider those merits, you first have to file your respective claim within two years of the statutory time frame. Well, let me, wouldn't one way to reconcile that be just that if that this section 9738 would contemplate that a claim is filed for an injury and it's pending and going along and that, that claim can stay open for a long, long time if a person is totally disabled and they're getting benefits and medical treatment and what have you for, you know, two, three, four, five years and then that would include death benefits if they die within six years after the claim after the injury, right? And that would just become part of the case is what it, what it sounds like. I think that the, the, this court has, has always distinguished a death claim from a, of a living claim. And so I think that, that 
to be able to get in the door and to consider the merits of that of that uh, statute, you have to file your claim. You have to claim compensation. Well, if you're if if in the scenario that that I was mentioning, where you've got a claim that's pending, say it's in a compensable claim, the person is getting benefits for two, three, four years. Um, and then they die, the statute says the, the employer shall pay your cost to be paid, um, weekly payments for the, you know, if you, on the, because of the death, it doesn't say upon filing of a new claim. It just says that you, they, they have to pay for the death if it's related to the injury. I think that. Uh, and within six years from the date of the accident. And the Court of Appeals has, 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 has recognized 9738 as an accrual statute. So as long as the death occurs within these time frames, we can, a death claim is viable, essentially. If it occurs outside of those time frames, the de unfortunately, a death claim is, is, is not viable and the, the person is not entitled to compensation. But I think that still goes to the compensability of the death claim because there could arise issues of whether there have been issues before this court or before the Court of Appeals about whether it was timely. But I think it also it, you, it raises issues of whether the death was because of the compensable accident or occupational disease. Well, it sort of gets to a related question, which is, um, I think you acknowledged at the beginning of your argument that this that in this particular case, when the 18 was filed, the commission had jurisdiction over the, the injury and the claim here. Mr. McCauley's claim, yes, sir. Correct. Yes. Um, and so my question is, did jurisdiction end at some point? And if so, what made it end? It looks like the commission con con continued under the same file number knowing that he had died. Um, jurisdiction over his claim to, has not ended, I would I would submit. I think, I think but the, the question is, has jurisdiction begun on Miss McCauley's claim? And because she hasn't, she didn't claim compensation within the t that two-year time frame, it, it, they, the, the commission never had jurisdiction over her claim. Well, are the, the benefits that she would get as a result of the death would be the ones that are referred to in 9738, correct? That's correct. And so there's no indication in 9738 that you have to file a new claim. It just appears to be if it comes, it's a, the result of the injury, the employer shall pay. I think that goes back to the, uh, of the, the indication to file the claim comes from 9724. It's not 9738. In, in 9724, you have to file your claim, and if you file it timely, you get to the compensability, the merits question under 9738. Right, and, and we've talked somewhat about the legislative history where they removed the language specifically requiring that there be a separate claim. Yes. In, in 1973, and I understand from the footnote in your brief that there were other changes made in that legislation at the same time to 9758, and I think your argument there was that the caption um, somehow tells us that it's me meant to be, um, to not mean that that comes out that it's an extension of the time limitation. But they did keep a time limitation in 9758, didn't they? They did. They changed the, the, the death. But the 9758C is, is, reads um, a little bit differently than 9724 did at the time. Um, I think it's like a paragraph of, of, of text, whereas there was a separate clause for death claims under 9724. Um, so you're correct. They, they kept that two-year limitation in 9758. They, they kept the, the same language except for the, the two-year limitation in 9758. Um, and they did strike that language from uh, 9724. But I think the, what's important about that, that amendment is that um, it is included with that title of the amendment, which has extended. It implies that there's a time limitation that remains in place. 
and it implies that it's being extended. I think that, that's consistent well, it, with the it. But it doesn't say which, which section of the statute it's referring to. And I guess my question is, there are lots of cases that say we're supposed to interpret the Workers' Comp Act um, liberally in favor of awarding benefits. And how does, how does interpreting the title to apply to 9724 and not 9758 or in addition to 9758 when it doesn't specify how is that liberal construction in favor of awarding benefits? I think it's consistent with the overall purpose of the act. Um, and it goes back to the point of, well, if, if, if there's no death claim or if, if, if the, how long can a dependent wait to file their death claim? Can it, can it be 20 years? I think it just, as everyone was, was discussing earlier. Um, I think it goes back to the overall purpose of the act, which is one, to provide um, a swift and certain remedy for the injured party, but also to provide a uh, limited and determinate liability for the employer. And so um, I think that the General Assembly couldn't have meant to, to leave that uh, requirement, or couldn't have meant to just leave the requirement that a person file their claim within a certain time frame for, for an unlimited amount of time. It had to, they, they intended to extend the time limitation that was already in place for employees, um, from, but for dependents from one year to two years. But then they took it out altogether. We would disagree with that, but I, I think that, 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 that they, I think that full commission. The specific reference to, to a claim for death benefits. Yes, I, I agree they with that. They did take That's that true. out. Yes. Okay. All right, thank you. I think this case really, it, it's similar to the Ray case cited in, in our brief. Um, if you look at Ray, uh, essentially, what happened there was the employer argued that the claim for death benefits was in, a, in effect an amendment to the employee's original Form 18, which was not filed in a timely manner. And this court highlighting that distinction between claims, that the, the death claim is an original right held by the, the uh, dependents of a uh, injured worker upon his death, <coughs> the court said, no, it's a separate claim. Uh, even though the employee's claim was time barred, the dependents could bring their claim. Um, so I, I, we think that, that, that Ray is really the most analogous situation to this case and um, <coughs> that plaintiff uh, did not file her claim in a timely manner. So um, just to conclude, a straightforward application of 9724 to the facts of this case shows that plaintiff did not file her separate claim for compensation within two years of her husband's death. Given that, um, the Industrial Commission did not acquire jurisdiction over her claim in a timely manner, and it was proper, her claim was properly dismissed. Um, as such, defendant respectfully asks this court to affirm the court below. Mr. Thank Counsel. You. Rebuttal. Thank you, Your Honor. May it please the court. Again, there is uh, nothing in the statute uh, that points to the need to file an additional claim or file a request for hearing within two years after an employee's death as argued by the defendant. And uh, in the defendant's argument the, the, and in their brief, and this is the same thing with the uh, majority opinion of the Court of Appeals, the only thing that they can point to is this, uh, is trying to apply the definition of quote compensation that's actually found in another part of the Workers' Compensation Act, section 97.2, to reach this conclusion that the timeliness of death claims is contemplated and governed by section 9724A. That conclusion that the timeliness 
of death claims as contemplated and governed by, by Section 9724A is just plainly not consistent with the, with the plain language of the operative statute itself. Um, and the majority failed to properly address the plain language of the statute, and the majority at the Court of Appeals also failed to properly address the legislative history of the statute. And your honors, uh, we would uh, respectfully request that the Supreme Court reverse the majority decision of the North Carolina Court of Appeals in this case, uh, which concluded that the commission did not acquire jurisdiction of Ms. McCauley's claim for death benefits. And we would uh, uh, respectfully request instead that you adopt the dissenting opinion, uh, which sets forth uh, uh, why uh, Ms. McCauley's claim should be able to move forward on the merits. I'm happy to answer any other questions your honors may have concerning the case. Thank you very much for your time. Thank you, counsel. Thank you both. Mr. Clark.